0: That's heritageradio network.org/15 to donate and enter to win today and make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Welcome to Meet in 3, a new podcast from Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kat Johnson. As an Alabama native, I love a good Meet in 3. Down south, it's a type of restaurant where you can get your pick of fried chicken, catfish, or country fried steak, and three vegetable sides. And in this case, mac and cheese definitely counts as a vegetable. This show is an audio version of a meat and three, a filling main course along with three sides. These are food stories that you need to know about, and today, they're all about hitting a snag. First up... Valerie Lomas, a Harlem-based lawyer and the champion of the Great American Baking Show season three, what should have ended in a ton of media exposure and a book deal or two, instead ended in a massive letdown. The season never aired because of sexual misconduct allegations against one of the show's judges, Johnny Iuzzini. Host Dana Cowan welcomed Valerie to her show, speaking broadly to talk about the heartbreaking experience. Valerie, she's a lawyer, a
2: home baker, a blogger, and she grew up near Baton Rouge, Louisiana, surrounded by the amazing food culture of the state and a pair of grandmothers who were renowned for their cakes. Here, we talk about how she felt after learning that her season would not air. I got a phone call. I was kind of shocked and confused, and I was wondering is is this really the only solution that that is an option it wasn't really a choice right so it's not like they said well we could do this or this what (laughs) do you think what did you do with that disappointment i kept baking i kept blogging i i did a lot of writing you know the fact that the show got canceled doesn't change the fact that like we all went through something together a lot of it was really comical and fun like the creme caramel scrambled eggs thing. A lot of it was tough, but we overcame it. I became a much better baker and I also became a more confident baker. As a woman of color, did you do you feel any frustration of, you know, you you're out there, you you won and it was great for you personally but it also would have been great for everyone to see yeah that has actually been one of the hardest things for me to kind of deal with and process Mm -hmm. because I understand how important representation is growing up when I was able to see someone that looked like me um, on television especially winning something you you kind of feel like hey If they did it, I can do that, too. Like, that space is actually open to me as well. That has been tough because it feels like it's kind of been erased.
1: You can hear more of Dana's interview with Valerie on episode 50 of Speaking Broadly here on Heritage Radio Network. On to a lighter note. Sometimes having a career that revolves around delicious food and drink means you spend a lot more time eating and a lot less time exercising. Our next short is about how one brewer turned his not-so-healthy lifestyle around and inspired others to do the same. Sam Lee has the story.
3: McKellar is a Danish brewery that is considered one of the most innovative breweries in the world. McKellar's beers can be found in over 50 countries around the globe. And their running club?
4: We are 37 countries, and uh, I think we're two chapters from reaching 200.
3: That's Soren Rung. He's president of the McKellar Run Club, which is based in Copenhagen. And full disclosure, I am a member of the Brooklyn Running Club. So how did a craft brewery in Copenhagen start a worldwide running revolution?
4: The uh, owner and founder of Mikkel is called Miguel Paul He used to be actually an elite runner in his younger years. Uh, Personally, I met Mikkel about, yeah, it's a bit more than 20 years ago now. And we went to school together to become teachers.
3: Soren and Mikkel became fast friends. They started spending more time drinking and playing computer games, and Mikkel spent less time
4: running. From one day to the other, he just stopped running.
3: And he soon started brewing with his friend Christian Keller, who is the Keller in Mikeller.
4: They started brewing in Mikkel's kitchen in 2005. At a very early stage, the beer started tasting good, and yeah, and then it just moved on from there. It was pretty, pretty amazing to to follow from the sideline.
3: By the time he opened up his first bar in Copenhagen in 2013, the McCullough beer business was booming. But Mikkel wasn't training anymore, and he and Soren were not getting any exercise at all.
4: So at some point, we found ourselves enjoying great lifestyles with a lot of great beer, and the outcome of that would be two choppy guys walking the streets of Copenhagen.
2: So they
3: started trying to go for runs together, but they didn't get very far. And they decided that if they got a group together, maybe then they'd be a little bit more motivated to run.
4: We had the first gathering in October 2014, and uh, we just put a note on Facebook, want to run with us? Let's meet at a bar. We said, if you show up, uh, we go for a run, and and we'll buy you a beer. For that first meeting, we were eight people, and we said, hey, let's meet next Saturday again. And then we met, and I think 28 people came around, and for the third session, we had the 100 people showing up. And that was when we started realizing, hey, man, this could actually be something.
3: It turned out that the simple idea of combining a little a little bit of exercise with a little bit or a lot of beer and fun was something a lot of people were looking for and not just in Copenhagen
4: I think then it just spread uh, around the world and people contacted us and said hey what, what, what should we do and and then it's just been yeah we're, we're still amazed by the, the support we're getting from, from around the world it's, it's really truly amazing
3: to start a new chapter there really aren't many rules you must run every first Saturday of the month and give everyone who runs a free beer afterwards if you'd like to add a chapter in your city head to McCuller runningclub.dk This has been Sam Lee for Heritage Radio Network.
1: Next up, we bring you the story of the world's first viral cookie recipe and its surprising backlash. Allison Roman's salted butter and chocolate chunk shortbread cookies cook Instagram by storm after her cookbook Dining In came out last October. Tons of people are obsessed with these cookies, but not every reaction was sugary sweet.
5: Every time I see anyone in a social setting, that's generally the first thing they ask me is, how are the cookies?
1: Did you have any idea that this would be the one recipe from the book that would just kind of rocket into a life of its own?
5: I had no idea, but mostly because I had not seen a recipe from a cookbook do this before.
1: What are some of the most surprising
5: reactions you've seen from people? (laughs) How honest can I be? Um, Some of the more recent reactions, um, the ones that have been a little bit more negative have been really interesting to me because I think that the only reason that they're negative is because it's popular. Do you have any advice for people who might find their work going viral and a little bit out of their control? I heard somebody ask somebody else, how do we get a recipe to go viral like those cookies? But I don't think that there's a formula for it. And I think that it's a right place, right time. I think I put a good amount of work into it, you know, spreading the good word on Instagram and things like that. But being supportive of something that is successful is, is exhausting and it takes up a lot of your time. But it's also really important.
1: You can find the recipe for Allison's salted butter and chocolate chunk shortbread cookies online, but make sure you get your hands on her cookbook dining in. It's full of recipes and not all of them are cookies, believe it or not. We'll be back in a moment with our final story this week, a look into why the recently established Universal Free Lunch in New York City Public Schools isn't running as smoothly as advocates hoped.
0: Patina Restaurant Group offers unparalleled service in New York's most iconic locations, including Lincoln Center, Rockefeller Center, and Macy's Herald Square. From meetings and presentations in the glass-walled atrium, to galas in the renovated Palm House, and intimate wedding showers at Yellow Magnolia Cafe, your event will be perfectly imagined and customized at Brooklyn Botanic Garden. You can also enjoy a la carte brunch and lunch at the picturesque Yellow Magnolia Cafe overlooking Lily Pool Terrace. Chef Rob Newton and chef de cuisine Morgan Jarrett offer warm, distinctive cuisine with a focus on local vegetables, grains, and sustainably sourced meats and fish. Visit us at patinaevents.com.
1: Welcome back to Meet in 3. Last September, after years of fighting for it, parents, activists, and union representatives finally got universal free lunch at all New York City public schools. But cafeterias might not have enough staff to carry out the job. Lila Goldstein has the story.
0: First of all, I think we're missing an opportunity to use available federal funding to make school lunches free. And I think we have to end any stigma around school lunches. Universalize it It's crucial.
6: That was Mayor Bill de Blasio back in 2013 on the campaign trail. But two years into his first term, no program had been put in place. In November of 2016, city council members and union leaders representing cafeteria staff gathered. They spoke on the steps of City Hall to advocate for universal free lunch.
5: So we are standing here today because we are upset. We are
2: outraged that this isn't resolved. And we're asking the mayor to include this so that we
5: don't have to fight this for next year.
6: Even Rachel Ray of Food TV fame campaigned for the program.
5: We need to make sure that every
2: child is taken care of. The mayor has promised, now let's make it happen. Universal free school lunch just makes sense.
6: Students who qualified could already receive free and reduced lunch. But advocates argued this created stigma for low-income students. In September, they got what they'd been fighting for. At the press conference announcing the program, the president of the United Federation of Teachers, Michael Mulgrew, summed it up.
1: And and this this is a great day for New York City because now we're saying to everyone, we figured this out. It's done.
6: we figured this out. It's done, he says. Well, almost. With the new program, the Department of Ed had increased the amount of kids they would serve, but not the amount of staff that would do the serving. I visit All-City Leadership Secondary School in Bushwick, Brooklyn, to see how the new program is affecting one school. The cook, Joseph Jackson, brings me down to the cafeteria. He's wearing an apron, chef jacket, and cap, all with the NYC school food motto, feed your mind. He only has a few minutes to talk between prepping for lunch service and answering calls in the office. Luckily,
2: I got a good staff. They're good. They love the work.
6: Today, the team of five is here. But that's not always the case. In fact, I was supposed to meet with Joseph last week to talk about understaffing. But he texted me that morning to reschedule. He was short-staffed.
2: When we shut half of the time, they don't send nobody. It's sad, but what can we do? We keep on complaining, complaining. She don't send
1: nobody. supervisor don't send nobody, so.
6: He tells me there aren't enough subs to cover all the schools in his district. Workers then call out more often because they feel overworked. And when a meal is free, more kids eat.
2: When the breakfast is free, all the way around, you get more kids. More and more, the numbers go up. Num- everybody goes up in numbers. It's more work. But if we don't got the people, then what do you want us to do?
6: I spoke with the president of Local 372, the union that represents school cafeteria workers, to find out more.
2: Well, I'm Sean D. Francois I, um, the president of this lovely Local 372. I, I, I've always had a voice. I've always had a—some people call it a big mouth, but I call it just a voice for the voiceless.
6: Sean got his start as a cafeteria worker at a school in Queens, then got involved with the local union chapter. He told me about his thoughts on the new program.
2: Universal feeding came, as you know. Universal feeding was a big thing. I mean, something I pushed. I mean, I was aggressively pushing that issue because I feel that everybody should be able to eat free in the schools. But you can't use the same five people that fed 300 people to feed 600 people. It doesn't, it's not, not going to work.
6: While he pushed for Universal Free Lunch, the hiring process didn't happen until after the program was announced. It can take months for a new hire to get fingerprinted and have a background check before they can start at a school. Sean thinks they should have done the hiring first. Or put another way.
2: I don't know how to say nicely, but you, you put your pants on after you're underwear.
6: I also spoke with Donald Nesbitt the executive vice president of Local 372. He's been getting even more calls from workers about equipment breaking and being overworked. They have to serve more kids under the new program. And this past February, workers rallied across the country for Working People's Day of Action. Donald remembers one union member, a cook from a school in Queens, speaking directly to the mayor at the event.
1: And she gave the mayor for about what she was experiencing. Look, I'm, I'm overburdened, I'm overworked, I don't get staff when people are out, and this is causing a tremendous strain on, on my body. The mayor has to hear that.
6: So, after campaigning for years and finally getting universal free lunch, union leaders and cafeteria workers themselves are now asking for the resources
1: to carry it out. Thanks to Lila Goldstein for her reporting. Do you have a child attending public school in the U.S.? How do you feel about free school lunch? We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line at info at heritageradionetwork.org or tweet us at heritage underscore radio. That's it for this week's show. Be sure and save some room on your plate for Meat and 3 every Friday afternoon. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Special thanks this week to Dana Cowan, host of Speaking Broadly. Meet in Three is produced by Liza Hamm, Margaret Kelly, Hannah Forden, Katie Mosman-Wadler, and me, Kat Johnson. Additional reporting by Lila Goldstein, Michaela Heck, Sam Lee, and Sarah Strong. Our audio engineers are David Tadashore and Vitor Hirsch. Our theme song was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. Meet in Three is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Get in touch with our team. Write us anytime at ideas at meatand3.nyc, all spelled out. Subscribe to Meat and 3 so you never miss an episode. And tune in next week for our pork-themed takes on laws, sandwiches, international trade, and farming.